Well, hello, church. It is so good to be with you. My name is Ethan, one of the pastors, and I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today as we celebrate who God is and what God has done for us, even in this crazy time. Uh, speaking of crazy times, boy, I am so proud of our church right now and how so many of you continue to rise to the challenge of this moment. I heard another great story about one of our Sunday school classes and especially one of our Sunday school teachers who's figuring out how to do more and more creative things with their Zoom classroom. And speaking of creativity, I hope if you've got kids or grandkids or neighbors' kids, you've told them about our VBS this year. It is one of the most creative things I have seen any church try to do in this season. It meets once a week on Wednesday morning, and it's not just digitally online. It's also physical stuff in their home so that they really are engaged. It's not too late to sign up for the amazing stuff that's going on with our VBS. Uh, speaking of doing physical stuff in person, you probably know that regathering is well underway for us. We have outdoor services today at 2 and 4, and I bet it's not too late for you to register. We'd love for people to come out. And hey, we have a great rain solution, so don't let the rain scare you off. Uh, rain or shine, we've got a plan for this week. So join us this, this afternoon to see some friends and worship together outdoors. And then next week, July 5th, we'll be back in the building. Now, I hope you're checking out all the information we're putting out via email, on the website, and social media so you know all the details. But I'll tell you just a couple things you need to know. First, you need to know that we're going to have slightly different service times. 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. We're spreading things out just a tiny bit to make sure that we have plenty of time to disinfect in between services. Again, that's 8.15, 9.45 and 11.15. And to keep things simple, this will affect our online worship times as well, so that everywhere you go, the times are the same, 8.15, 9.45 and 11.15. I also hope that you will go ahead and register now. It's very important that we register in advance for these services so that we can avoid overcrowding, because crowds are one of the biggest things that leads to the transmission of the virus. Uh, registration should be open now. You can do that right away. Don't worry, we'll leave a few spots for people that forget to register. But the more of us that register in advance, the better able we'll be, we'll be to serve the whole church. Please, when you do show up, pay attention to our careful social distancing strategies. We'll make it as easy as possible, and there's more information on social media and the website and via email about what that looks like. But in short, it will include changes to how we sit, will include practices that keep us distanced from one another, and it will include masks. Especially, masks are especially important whenever we're singing or as we enter and exit the building. If you're wondering, why are we doing all that? Maybe you're especially wondering, why masks? Here's why. We don't want an outbreak in our church. And if you're studying the news, you'll discover that lots of churches uh, have experienced outbreaks because they've kind of, it's been hard to keep up with these practices. We don't want that in our church, so we're gonna do everything we can to avoid it. Of course, above all else, Please be patient while we figure out these details. There'll probably be more changes to come as we get better at this over the next couple weeks. But right now, we're here at my house to wrap up our home improvement series. 
We're here on my roof for the last week. I have loved this series. Uh, we've gotten a little tour of my home as a jumping off point for some important biblical truths. Not complex truths. In fact, I've kind of noticed it's sort of been a simple series, but really, really important ones. We visited the kitchen to learn about how service is where our life of following Christ begins. We visited the front porch to learn about the intentional and strategic way we want to welcome all people. We walked around the neighborhood to learn about listening and loving all of our neighbors. We, we visited the kayak shed to talk about foundations and how for each one of us, the most important foundation we can build, the one that won't move, the one that will be reliable, is our foundation on Jesus Christ. And last week, we visited the grill to learn a little bit about chicken wings and a lot about celebration. A celebration that is rooted in what God has done and what God will do so that we are able to celebrate God at all times. And this week, we're here at the roof for probably the simplest lesson of the whole series. Uh, we're on the roof because, as you can see, it's time for me to clean the gutters. I don't really like this job. It's sort of annoying. You got to clean off these screens and then take the screens out and clean underneath the screen. Uh, because I don't like it, I don't do it nearly as often as I should. And I should do it pretty often. My yard is full of trees that year-round are leaving stuff on the roof that are clogging my gutters. And it's up here where I can't usually see the problem if I don't come up to look at it. Consequently, I usually wait till things are well out of hand before I deal with my gutters. And doing it is usually a little bit gross. But when I do, or I should say when I'm done, I'm always glad I did. Because my whole house is better off. My foundation isn't getting washed away. We're protected from long-term damage. There isn't rain pouring over the sides. And if my life were a house, the closest thing I can think of to the task of cleaning out the gutters would be my need to confess sin. Just like cleaning gutters, I don't like the job. I, I take no joy in confessing my sin. I don't do it as often as I should, and I need to do it often because my life is deeply corrupted by sin. I usually wait till it gets out of hand, till kind of I have to, till things have gotten so bad I've been caught in my sin. When I confess my sin, just like when I clean my gutters, it gets a little gross. But also just like the gutters, when I do, when I finally get around to the confession of sin that needs to be done, I'm always so glad I've done it. The interesting thing about confessing sin is that our natural instinct is exactly the opposite. You go all the way back to the story of the garden with Adam and Eve. What did they do when they realized they'd sinned? They hid. They covered themselves, hoping no one would know, and we still do that today. We hide our failures and shortcomings. We, we pull back from confessing our sin, hoping no one will notice, assuming it's just fine. If you don't get up on the ladder, you can't really see how bad my gutters are. 
we're sure that when we do confess our sin, it's going to be bad. And so we think that our best strategy is the opposite of confession. We think our best strategy is to hide our sin and pretend we have no sin. But God's Word says we're missing out on one of the most important home improvement tasks available to us. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He says that the confession of sin one to another is part of us embracing the power of prayer. Psalm 32, David describes his journey of learning the discipline of confession. Here's what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not account against them, in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, already that probably sounds pretty good to you, right? You're like, yeah, absolutely. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. That sounds awesome. That's what I want, but I don't want anybody to know about them. But listen to what he says next. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He says hiding his sin didn't get him any closer to the forgiveness that he wanted. It just made it worse and worse. But then look at what happens in verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said this, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. He says that thing we're looking for, the thing Adam and Eve were looking for, the hiding place where our sin is not known and, and nobody knows how bad we are, that hiding place isn't found by hiding. That hiding place is found by confessing, by being honest with God, coming clean, so to speak, with your sin, so that God can make you clean with God's forgiveness. And I can testify. Boy, I wish I couldn't, but I absolutely can. That when we fail to confess our sin, we slowly become disconnected from God. Our spiritual life becomes clouded with fear. Our relationships with other believers also become clouded by doubt. We wonder to ourselves, if only they knew what I really was like, would they love me? If only they knew what I really did, would they accept me? The fear that enters our spiritual life when we avoid confession, it's just what David described. Our bones waste away. We groan all day long because we're hiding the truth and we wonder. And I can testify that when we get sick of the hiding and the groaning and the fear and the doubt and we decide to confess our sin, that David's words are true. 
we are met with grace. The first step toward freedom from your sin is to confess your sin. As James says, confess it one to another. Be bold. Tell another believer, I'm struggling with this right now. And right now, I'm losing the fight. And especially confess your sin to God. Because when we confess, in that moment, it's finally the real us that is brought into relationship with a real God. Not some fake person that we're pretending to be, the person who has no troubles and has no struggles. That isn't really you. And so if the fake you builds a relationship with God, well then it's a fake relationship. Confession is what tears down the wall that clouds your relationship with God. When we refuse to confess our sin, over time our relationship with God is damaged. I remember as a kid, um, the very first time my parents let me drive the van by myself to go pick up some friends. I'd probably had my license 10 days. I was backing out of the garage and I turned too early. I'd driven this car six feet and I hit the wall of the garage. I straightened the car out and pulled out into our driveway and I sat there for just a second. Should I drive off? and go do the fun I had planned with my friends? Or should I park the car and go in and tell my dad I just ran into a wall? I wasn't sure because I didn't know what the consequences of my confession might be. And I knew I couldn't hide my sin forever, but I could hide it for a day or two, you know? It wasn't that big a hole in the wall. He might not notice. But here's what I knew. I knew that until I had confessed about the car and the wall and the garage, there would be a barrier in my relationship with my father. And I didn't want that barrier to be there. I would rather have a real relationship with my dad, even if it meant I got the keys taken away from me, even if it meant I couldn't see my friend, than a fake relationship built on me hiding my sin. So I parked the car and walked in, told him the story. He laughed at me. We came out and looked at the garage wall. And after a stern conversation about safe driving, he sent me on my way. And I learned something there about confession. That when we fail to confess, we build a wall between us and our Heavenly Father. Uh, failing to confess your sin, it, it's sort of like failing to clean your gutters. As long as you don't climb up on the ladder, everything sort of feels fine and we can pretend that nobody notices. The gunk is up here where no one can see it. But the damage is being done. Unconfessed sin builds up layers of dishonesty in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Here's the way John puts it in his first letter. Chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we were to claim we have not sinned, we make Christ out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. My Dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. It is so important that you understand these five short verses and what they are teaching you about how to have a real relationship with God. The first thing they teach us is that pretending we have nothing to confess makes God a liar. Uh, 1 John 1.10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So the, the East Tennessee nice we all learned where everything's fine and we're fine and it's fine and we're all fine. It turns out God says we're not. God says we're struggling. God says we're sinners. God says we're broken. And it's only when we admit that to God and to one another that we begin to encounter the truth of God. The second thing we learn that's so important from this text is that holiness is God's goal for us. God really wants us to sin less. But pretending we sin less doesn't help. Pretending we're holy does no one any good. In fact, when we pretend, it makes it worse because the pretense is just another sin. The lying that we've all got it figured out, that just adds layers of deception onto our relationship with God and one another. What actually helps us live a life of purity that God calls us to is confessing our sin. He says, I'm writing this to you, verse 1 of chapter 2, I'm writing this to you so you won't sin. But if anybody does, and remember in the last chapter he just said, everybody does, you have an advocate with the Father. I want you to know what that word means. That word advocate, it, it, we might say it's the defense attorney. You've got a defense attorney with God. And who is the defense attorney? Jesus Christ. And, and I've seen enough crime movies to know you're always smart when you confess your sins to the defense attorney. Oh, they're legally obligated not to tell anybody. And it's only when they know what you've done that they can help you get off. And Jesus says, I'm your defense attorney. There is no risk in confessing your sin to Jesus. He is on your side. He is your advocate. And more importantly, not only is he your defense attorney, he's also the one that will pay the penalty for any crimes you've committed. He's also the one that will accept the sentence and the judgment. Here's what I know about my house. I leave my gutters alone too long. They fill up with this stuff, whatever that is. They get clogged, it overflows, it erodes the foundation, and over time the whole house can suffer. And the same thing is true if I avoid confession my whole relationship with God suffers. I want to I tell you something that I believe about you. Some of you are on the verge of a spiritual breakthrough with Jesus. And the obstacle between you and the life God wants for you is that you will not confess your sin. You're still pretending you have no sin. You're pretending that's in the past. You tell everybody it's all fine. You're lying about your sin. And when we do that, it makes God a liar. And it builds a layer of dishonesty in our relationship with God that, that limits all the spiritual blessing God wants for us. Some of you are on the verge of a spiritual breakthrough. 
And the only obstacle between where you are now and where God wants to take you is that you need to confess your sin. Maybe for the first time you need to just say, Jesus, I need your help with my sin problem. Would you be my defense attorney? Would you be my advocate? Or maybe it's just yet again, you need to say, I've fallen back into that same old pattern, God. Please forgive me. David says that until he did that, his bones were wasting away. He withered as if under the summer heat. But when he confessed his sin, he met a God who was gracious and just to forgive. He was renewed in his strength. And God wants to do the same thing for you. If my house were a house, I would need to clean the gutters. I think we have video evidence of that by now. And if my life were a house, if your life were a house, it's probably time to confess your sin. Maybe you'd pray with me right now. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned. We have sinned in what we have done and in what we have left undone. We have sinned against you and we have sinned against our brother and sister. We have even sinned against ourselves. Lord Christ, we confess that when we hide our sin, we see ourselves grow farther from you, deeper into the darkness. But we believe, God, that when we confess our sin, you, O oh Lord, are faithful and just to forgive. So now, God, in this moment of silence, wherever we are and wherever we worship right now, search our hearts. Know the truth about us. Hear us acknowledge our sin. Lord Christ, some of us need to take the next step. As described in your word, we need to confess our sin to somebody else. We need to call somebody on the phone or schedule a meeting and just say, I need somebody to know that I'm struggling with this. I've fallen into this pattern. I'm being broken by this. I, I lied to you and I'm sorry about that. I, I deceived you and I'm sorry about that. I, I stole this. Or... Because there's, there's no freedom from sin while we hide it, God. But you have said there is freedom when we confess it. I just pray for some people that need to take that step and actually confess their sin to another person so that they can be held accountable, but also so they can hear that person repeat to them the words of Scripture that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive. God, I pray for some people who need to know that mercy. They are wasting away, hiding and pretending, and they need to know your mercy, God. In all of this, God, these prayers are only possible because we believe the promise of 1 John chapter 2 that we have in the person of Jesus Christ an advocate before you 
someone who is on our side and more than our advocate, he is the atoning sacrifice who has paid the penalty for our sins so that all our sins can be forgiven by him and in him, God, we rejoice. We give you praise and glory and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.